Welcome to the first podcast of Emerge. I am the Red Herring. Emerge interviews people about the global conversation on the future church that is emerging now. The theme for this first podcast is what we mean when we speak of the emerging church. People often have great difficulty in understanding what the emerging church is. There is no single model for local congregations to follow. There is no official body that defines who does and who does not belong. While some prefer to define the loose informal relations between emerging churches as a movement, others prefer to speak of a network. Carl Potter, a member of a new monastic group called the Vine and Branches Christian Community in Lexington, Kentucky, says on his blog, Vindicated, that the emerging church is not a movement or an organization. It is simply a phrase, a more or less useful shorthand for discussing what God seems to be doing in the midst of his people. More formal national networks have been organized in the United States, Europe, Africa, Latin America and Australasia which identify themselves as emergent. Critics are not in short supply, making the term emerging church something of a liability. Even within the movement some are not completely satisfied with the name. Brian McLaren, a prominent emerging church leader and author, had this to say in a sermon delivered at Cedar Ridge Community Church in September 2005. I don't like the term the emerging church at all. I try not to use it. First of all, because it sounds divisive. The word the sort of creates an insider-outsider group. I mean, I think what we need is for us to see ourselves all together, and that's my concern. And I actually think that's the deeper concern in whatever this thing is that's being called the emerging church. I think what might be accurate about this, though, is there is an emerging edge in many, if not all, sectors of the church. There is a growing edge that's saying, you know what, we can't just stay stuck in the past, but we have to engage today and tomorrow's world. And there is unprecedented dialogue and fellowship across denominational lines in this emerging edge that I think is tremendously exciting. And the diversity of all of these different expressions of the church, the diversity is one of its very best things. Third reason I don't really like the term is because at the end of the day, this thing isn't about church. If we're just talking about some different internal rearranging of furniture in the church, it's certainly not worth all of this media attention, and it's certainly not worth a lot of trouble. I hope what we're dealing with is a unique and historic moment when the church is beginning in a very fresh way to turn its eyes out of itself and say, you know what, God loves the world and we need to join God in loving the world. And being a Christian at the end of the day isn't about doing church. It's about joining God in mission and in God's love for the world. The church can go from confessing Jesus as Lord and Messiah to then working in ways that actually go against the purposes of God. And so the church always has to be open to renewal and correction. Just because you know who Jesus is 
doesn't mean that you'll never make a mistake and be wrong and drift and start working from human perspectives. And so when people like me and this thing called the emerging church arise, in some ways there's always a kind of a prophetic critique to say, you know what, folks, we may be playing on the wrong side in some ways. There doesn't have to be judgment. There doesn't have to be harshness. There doesn't have to say, see, this is why I don't like the sea leaders. We've got it right. You've got it wrong. No, it's all us. But we've got to face how we can get it wrong and try to get back on the right path again. We're not interested in the latest trend or fad, the latest thing happening in the church. What we're interested in is just this. How can we be Jesus' disciples? How can we pay the full price and cost of discipleship? How can we invest our lives in the things that really matter? Brian McLaren's sense that the emerging church movement is a global conversation is what I want to emphasize in this podcast. He discovered that similar conversations were taking place in England and Norway and Denmark and Sweden and Switzerland and France and Spain. And then we found out, you know what, there are Africans talking about. Meanwhile, all over Asia and, and, uh, and Latin America, uh, similar conversations are happening. Just in the past three weeks, I've received emails from Costa Rica, Brazil, Argentina, Peru, Chile, just stunning. That was Brian McLaren speaking in September 2005 at Cedar Ridge Community Church. The confusion about what to call the movement has not stopped researchers from engaging with the churches. One of the most well-received books on the topic is The Emerging Churches, researched and written by two Fuller Seminary professors, Eddie Gibbs and Ryan Bolger. I asked Ryan to talk about their research. Here are excerpts from the interview with Ryan Bolger. Can you give the few who have not yet read your book a brief overview of it? What did you set out to do in it? We interviewed, you know, hundreds of leaders for hundreds of hours and tried to assess if there were any sort of patterns, any sort of commonalities between uh, these communities or if it was just all sorts of you know, different expressions that had nothing in common. We started uh, this around 2000, 2001. When Eddie Gibbs and I started on this project, we were looking for really the big. I began by mapping every community that was using new forms of culture in the West. As we were doing that, I realized there's another element going on here, and we're seeing all sorts of small communities that are deeply engaged in culture. And we started to see in 2001, 2002, those sorts of communities pop up here. And so basically, we took a whole different approach on the research and began to investigate these smaller, more organic movements. Because many of these smaller organic movements were new in the sense that they came out of very large megachurches and were definitely seeking to do something completely different. Uh, we started to identify these and these patterns. We saw that the patterns in the U.S. after 2001 or so started to resemble those of the U.K. But we really wanted to see what those common stories were across the board. And so we wanted to write a book that would let people tell their own stories and that we would let the sort of patterns emerge as opposed to, you know, us coming up with 10 ways to do church or whatever and then try to fill in slots. I went back to the leaders and I interviewed particularly the leaders that I thought were most significantly engaging the culture as missionaries would in the U.S. and U.K. And what would you say the essential characteristics are? We identified three primary characteristics and six sort of derivative characteristics. The three, one, that, that Jesus is a significant model for how they live. Some people say, well, that's every Christian church. And 
And my response was, no, it's actually been very rare in church history where the life of Jesus is a model way to live. That actually gospel practices look a lot like hospitality, like inclusion and receiving the marginalized and representing an alternative political body in and of themselves in terms of their generosity towards each other. Communities have rarely self-consciously identified with this, especially in the West. I would say it's probably more intuitive in the two-thirds world. So that is one aspect, is that there's been a real retrieval of the Sermon on the Mount, whereas the Christendom Church tended to spiritualize the Sermon on the Mount, especially the Reformation churches. These communities, they've deconstructed church life. They've needed to go back to some sort of model, either their own historical tradition of their founders of their particular denomination, or even further back to Jesus. The second characteristic is creating a community that overcomes the sacred-secular split. And again, that is what is going on in our culture right now. Modernity, the, the period especially of the last few hundred years, created a kind of Christian faith that was very cerebral, very individualistic, very linear. A lot of these perspectives have been deconstructed by the culture. Culture no longer sees the church as an option. The culture is very interested in spirituality and looking for it in all places but the church. What these communities are doing are overcoming that split and creating very spiritual communities that overcome those divisions of sacred and secular, playing so-called secular music in their worship, doing spiritual-type things that used to be confined in church out in the world and back and forth. There's an embrace of the arts and video as well as the ancient sorts of things and and mixing it all together. A third characteristic is community before church. The idea of being a community is much more the glue that keeps the group together than a church service. Many Western churches, you have a church service in the hopes of fostering community at some point. Uh, This is the other way around. Many of these communities never even get to the church service part. Or if they do, it's, it's anecdotal. It's not the center of the community per se, or or why they exist. Why they exist is to be Christ followers in the world, and why the service exists is probably to inspire that and to give them a chance to worship God together more specifically. But when I was teaching these principles to a group of missionaries, they're like, well, this is really basic. This is how we do it in the Middle East, or this is how I do it in China. There's nothing radical there. We don't center our life around the church service. We center it around living the gospel in the coffee places. And I said, you know, this is just mission. This is just uh, real basic stuff, but it's radical for the West. So those are the three characteristics. And then they flow through and establish a welcome to those outside, a willingness to dialogue much more deeply than they were before, a willingness to see hospitality as central to the church expressions in the sense that they don't do this so that they could reach others or so that something else, but actually this is the gospel practice. So some communities train people in hospitality. Creativity, which again is, is overcoming some of the sacred-secular split. Participation, and this is overcoming some of the clergy-lady split in that it, people are highly participatory. So some communities will say, we don't want to give the guest anything to consume. Actually, the benefit of our community is in the participation is in the production of worship with us. The church service isn't geared to be relevant towards the seeker, but actually the community is something that someone can join. And then leadership, which is just more flat, more consultative, more 
egalitarian, more leaning towards consensus. And again, it's the controlling leader was really the modern leader, casting a vision to get usually his goals fulfilled for the church. And this is more a discerning, everyone gets a voice, 1 Corinthians 14 perspective. All of these are manifesting in smaller communities, but I have seen some of these dynamics work with networks of larger communities. And then finally is a retrieval of ancient spiritual disciplines and practices. And what this is also is an overcoming of the sacred-secular split as well in that it's a spirituality of every day. It's not geared necessarily around church service, although the Eucharist is central to that more than it used to be. But it's a spirituality of everyday life of doing these sorts of practices. There's nothing magical about ancient practices, but the, the wonder of them come from the fact that more and more of one's life is given over to God. And so less and less life becomes secular to us. So those are sort of the, the characteristics. Now, none of these, with the exception maybe of, of overcoming sacred-secular in the West, none of these are only native to this movement, but the constellation of these represent this particular movement. But we're not saying this movement has discovered something that no church has ever done before, and you will see these practices in all sorts of different vital movements in church history. song Mary's Baby by Spirit of the New, available from prwost.co.uk. Now back to the interview with Ryan Bolger. How does your definition that you arrived at differ from those of other people? I went through a few of the people who were much more inclusive, looking at forms and, and so really including sort of the, the large megachurch service as part of the emerging church, and we don't see that. One, these churches don't value the spectator. You need to participate. They don't value anonymity. You need to actually get in there and do things with the community and actually produce the worship together to, to be part of those things together. If it's combined with the large megachurch service, it, that often has more CEO-style leadership 
whereas these ones work on a sort of smaller spiritual director model type leadership. And so it's people group these two very different movements together because of some of the forms that are used that are similar in terms of art or more video or that kind of thing, but the underlying aspects of church, their ecclesiologies couldn't be more different from each other. The question of where and when the emerging church started has not yet been answered. While many assume that the emerging church started in the United States, Reinbalger is not so sure. But it definitely didn't start in the U.S. I mean, you can tie it to the base communities you can in the South America, and, and, and that's not just South America, and then you can tie it to what's going on in China. It's just becoming more consistent with a post-Christendom way of doing Christianity, when you don't have access to power. It stops looking like Sunday church and um, starts getting very organic. So, yeah, it's really part of that broader movement. And I don't think we'll ever go back to the old life. Well, it's interesting that you emphasize the lack of power because that would explain the flat structures that some of those churches assume. One of the questions that I have in the back of my mind is how does this all relate to the indigenous forms of Christianity in the sense of Native American indigenous churches or African indigenous churches or the indigenous churches among the Maori or the Aborigines right. of Australia. The turn of the 19th century you have the rise of all these forms of church where people try to appropriate the gospel, the essence of the gospel in their own cultural terms, which sounds very much like what the emerging church says it's doing now. And I wonder what the relationship is between those two streams, whether one can in some way uh, look at that and ask what the connection is and whether those connections would enable some kind of dialogue to emerge, which wasn't mm -hmm, possible mm -hmm. previously between mainline churches, which saw those indigenous forms of Christianity as syncretistic and as losing the essence of the gospel and as something to be avoided and to be to fight against and to eradicate. You know. Seeing that you are a McGovern student, in South Africa during the apartheid years, one of the things that bothered us about the church growth move is that the idea of culture could be interpreted very narrowly as coinciding with a racial base or an ethnic base right. and could then in, from that perspective be seen as a divisive method of church planting in a society that is ethnically diverse because you would then end up having, as you had in South Africa, white churches and black churches right. or you would have Zulu churches and Afrikaans churches. Is the same problem a danger for the emerging churches in the sense that their focus on local culture could also tend to coincide with class and race in a way that uh, proves more divisive than it proves unifying? I think there always has to be a dance between two aspects of the gospel. One aspect is that the gospel can answer a particular culture's deepest questions and, and serve as a resource in the heart language, the way of life for a particular people. And so some point that needs to be expressed and connected, or those people will seek life elsewhere. They'll live a two-polarized religion where they go to God for the formal church sort of thing, but the real life is over in the club or over with his people or with the 
witch doctor or with the American football or something that there's no venue for the gospel to touch their deepest cultural need. But on the flip side, that same Christian and that same community needs the context to love people other than them or the gospel isn't being preached. And so unless there's an opportunity for two people to become one, Jews and Gentiles, blacks and whites, or whatever the, the cultural differences there are, um, then, then, the, then that's a truncated gospel. What are you writing about on your blog? <laughs> it's informal. I, it's basically my blog. It's not Emerging Church blog or Eddie's blog or Fuller's blog. It's sort of what comes up for me. I, I really created it by accident about a year ago, and, and then it seemed to connect with some people, so I kept it going. There's no real particular agenda. It, if I get questions from people, emails, or have conversations, I tend to blog about it, and, and that way it tends to probably three out of four blog posts are on the emerging church. But it, it may not stay that way. It, I have other interests as well. It may go this way and that way. But that, at this point, that's really where the conversation is at on it. So I will comment on pastoring in American churches and that kind of stuff. So. I see you recently wrote about the boomers and then also about your experiences at the National Pastors Convention. Right, right. Well, <laughs> I usually give the boomers a pretty hard rap on church, and the last article I wrote was just sort of saying, well, it's not all bad, and they probably did some really good things. And as I write my articles in a somewhat, not tongue-in-cheek, but uh, they're not serious journal articles, that kind of thing. And so I'm just saying, well, maybe we were too hard on them. I've been in some pretty bad church services that were from the silent generation, and I can't blame them for running away. So it was sort of in that sort of just, but I don't know if you've experienced this with your blog, but it's, what's hard is about blogging is that you can't really nuance things too well, and you get people sort of responding in very heated ways on things that you actually agree with them, but you don't want to qualify everything you say on your blog and say, well, I know there are churches like this. Anyway, the blog is fun. It's a good way to meet people, and, and I've had a lot of great conversations. Just to move on to the uh, course that you taught on emerging churches at Fuller, uh, given the global interest in this subject, is there any chance of an online offering for people across the world? Yeah, it was taped and, and videoed. Either Eddie Gibbs or myself will be teaching it online within a year, that very same course. Well, Ryan, thank you very much for this conversation. My pleasure. Thank you. That was Ryan Bolger, co-author of Emerging Churches. Our next show will focus on emerging churches in the United States with my guest, Aaron Flores, who recently made his master's thesis on the subject available on the Internet. If you would like to send me comments and suggestions about the podcast, or if you've produced music that you would like to be played on the show, you can email me at yeredherring at gmail.com. That is yere.herring at gmail.com. Or you can leave a message on our listeners' feedback line. Our theme music is from Mary's Baby, produced by prwst.co.uk. If you would like to find out more about the Emerging Church, follow the links for the show, where you can also find more details and links. This is the Red Herring signing off. Thank you for joining me. We play out with the song Justice from the album Backbone, featuring two Johnnies in the basement. Until next time, peace.
and justice. Like a never failing stream